Yeah, people. Some people really can't get over that f word. Uh, the f word being "fuck," not like the worst f word that floats around. But speaking of floating around, you ready for story time, Dan? That was a very serious pop culture corner. We dressed some, uh, you know, some of the worst uh, among our media and entertainment class, and now Sam has a story about an odyssey. Yes, to lighten things up. Basically, when I was a kid, my parents used to take me out to, like, Martha's Vineyard for our summer vacation every year. We'd spend, like, a week or two out there. And uh, even though, I mean, I guess in the 90s we could afford to do so. I don't think that we could do that now. But uh, either way, it was a big part of my childhood, and I have a lot of stories from there. But the, the first one I have to mention is, like, my dad was obsessed with I don't know, weird solutions to his fear of water. So the most preposterous example of this is that he bought this, instead of buying like a normal rowboat, he bought like this rubber inflatable rowboat. Like, Dan, I need you to get a good mental picture of this thing. It's like, I don't know, it's like an inflatable fucking raft. With like a oars. life raft? <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's a little more substantial than that. It's obviously like you can take it out in the water and it's fine. But... It's for, like, ponds and stuff. It's, like, for fun. It's not, like, an actual fucking seafaring v- vessel or anything. But my <laughs> so my dad decided that we were going to go out in the surf on this thing. Like, into the, like, basically the, well, it's the vineyard sound, but it is the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> and uh, it was at the Menemsha Beach, in case anyone's familiar with, like, the geography of Martha's Vineyard. So the surf's not, like, very intense there. But Martha's Vineyard does have hella riptides that can drag you out pretty far from shore. So my dad and I sat on this stupid, like, inflatable raft, and we get into a riptide, and it pulls, like, I'm watching people on the shore shrink to the size of, like, ants rapidly. Like, I think that happens in an episode of The Simpsons, but it, it looked like that scene. I, I, my dad was, like, I guess kind of freaking out. I didn't have, like, a good sense of how dangerous it is to be like swept out to open ocean like a drift in a rubber boat i could just like swim back or something you know you don't think uh, of martha's vineyard as having those sort of tides like i you know like the cape cod like that sort of massachusetts-y beach is usually pretty calm in my memories because i've spent a lot of time uh visiting those beaches uh, as a kid myself yeah, and that's actually why they warn so much about riptides, because people don't expect it. But I, I had a couple times in Marvel's when you're getting pulled into riptides. It's more dangerous if you're swimming, because then you just kind of run out of energy trying to swim back, because you can't swim against it. You have to swim diagonally to cut through them. Either way, this riptide wasn't, like, insanely serious, but my dad could not row us back to shore, and <laughs> because of the current. And I look over the side, and I'm having a great time, because I, I think I was, like, eight when this happened. I was very young. And I looked over the edge, and there were just, like, insane... There's, like, a forest of jellyfish around us. I'm like, Dad, look! (laughs) They're huge. Like, these... They're, like, bigger than dinner plates. They have these massive, like, red stingers and tentacles and shit hanging down. My dad is, like, hyperventilating. I'm like, what's wrong, Dad? Like, this is fun. But, uh... 
Eventually, was that your we're going to need a bigger boat moment? (laughs) Yeah, basically. This is also, I think, the last time my dad was allowed to take this stupid raft out, at least on like ocean, because my mom, as you can imagine, was like running up and down the beach. Like she was the only person I could really distinctly see from that distance because she was just running up and down the beach, like screaming and like (laughs) begging people for help. (laughs) My dad could tell, I think, like that he was going to get into shitload of trouble when he got back to the beach. But eventually, like, I mean, it was fine. We let the surf just carry the raft back in. It took forever, but eventually we made it back. But (laughs) this is a pretty funny uh, example of, like, uh, I don't know, I guess weird moments in father-son bonding. Yeah, being, like, adrift in, like, an ocean of jellyfish, just, like... You know, your dad just, like, flipping out, having, like, a panic attack. You know, you fall into an ocean of jellyfish, you know, you you might uh, break your dick or something. (laughs) I guess I shouldn't have trusted, like, fucking, like, my dad is from Iowa, landlocked state, to be this, like, seafaring, like, captain, but I don't know. (laughs) Well... I think there's a lot of lessons there, um, you know, don't necessarily trust that your dad knows everything. It's a good lesson for the show in general. A lot of our uh, show is about not necessarily uh, taking people's authority based on their position in society or whether or not they're your father or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or your daddy, Donald Trump. Isn't that what, like, Milo Yiannopoulos called Trump was, like, daddy... Yeah, I believe so. His media company got uh, enormous uh, layoffs this week. Uh, They they performed uh, culling of their staff, so that's fun, too. Yep. Maybe he'll get to drink some of that Bill Gates feces water. I would like to see that. Yeah, and I'd throw him to the alligators in the sewers, (laughs) for sure. So let's move on to story time this week, introducing our fine dining correspondent, Sam Lewag. Hello, folks. Uh, This is our little fine dining corner. We're going to be doing this whenever I feel like I have been to a place that inspires me. The segment is called Le Boulet des Mais. This week, I went somewhere that I had been planning to go to to try out, to sample and do some investigation on. But I wasn't intending to go this past weekend. It just happened to be next to a bookstore I was trying to do some Christmas shopping at. And once I saw it, I had to go in, and it made an impact on me. So I'm just going to get right into it. It is a sad truth today that many of us feel helpless, subordinated to the machinations of powerful people and forces beyond our control. In an age of nuclear weapons, macroeconomics, and big data, we often feel powerless as individuals, painfully aware that we can be physically, financially, and even intellectually annihilated at any moment. We have more information than ever available at our fingertips, yet we cannot overcome the epistemological challenges of discerning reliable facts or any sort of objective truth. 
But some of us won't trade our dignity for peaceful anonymity. Some of us want to make an impression, and some of us need to see what's going on with our own two eyes. That's why, on December 4th, 2016, 28-year-old Edgar Madison Welch of Salisbury, North Carolina, walked into Comet Ping Pong, the unassuming hive of the sweeping Pizzagate conspiracy, demanding answers. <laughs> Northwest Washington, where Comet Ping Pong lies, is a wretched bourgeois place. Oddly suburban and woodsy, scores of white people there decorate their lawns with resistancy lawn signs. I'm sure that a large percentage of safety pin boxes get sent to its bleached white neighborhoods, even though its inhabitants nevertheless have faith that the police risk their lives to protect them. This is also the sort of place where people are more than willing to pay 14 to $18 for a 10-inch Neapolitan pizza named the Ich bin ein Berliner, or the Calamity Jays. Seriously, there must be a billion places in the nation's capital that sell these shits. Even in more civilized parts of the city, such as the nightlife hub at 14th and U Street, the pizza catastrophe continues with terrible late-night joints that will sell you a jumbo pizza slice for $7. Yes, seven United States dollars. These greasy monstrosities are maybe one and a quarter times larger than your average buck 50 New York slice, and a third is tasty. Whatever slick outfit you are clubbing in will be instantly ruined by the cascade of grease that jets out of both ends of the slice if you attempt to fold it and take a bite. At any rate, the pizza scene in D.C. was bound to suffer some vigilante justice. After heroically firing one or two shots from his assault rifle, Mr. Welch told police he had come to self-investigate Comet Ping Pong, or simply Comet, as true DC insiders abbreviate it, and its alleged subterranean pedophilia dungeon. Leaked emails from Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, John Podesta, uncannily painted a picture of a vast underground network of child sex slaves, Johns, and the powerful liberal <laughs> puppet masters who administer it. Brave sleuths on 4chan and Reddit's r slash the Donald and r slash Pizzagate cracked the code used to keep this blackest of markets secret, but profitable. Liberal publications laughed up the vile revelations, but all reasonable viewers knew that they were either frightened or secretly interested. Mr. Welch's arrest made it clear that the city was hiding something grave. Inspired by Welch's stifled attempt at on-the-ground gonzo activist journalism, I knew I would find my way to Comet Ping Pong, but I didn't know where it was or anything because I didn't really care very much. I thought to myself, of course there are child sex rings in this city, and of course there are nasty $15 personal pizzas with like truffle oil and shit on them. Everyone knows about their symbiotic relationship and their place in the network of utter per sexual perversion in the nation's capital. None of this is news. I didn't seek Comet Ping Pong out. Instead, it snuck up from behind and pounced, like John Podesta has done to so many unsuspecting youths. I thought that I would have a peaceful afternoon shopping for books for my family, but when I saw its corny neon sign, I knew I was trapped. I entered the vile ping-pong-themed restaurant apprehensively at about 4.30 in the afternoon. Why is ping-pong the theme, you may ask? Despite being the sport of choice for the sexually perverted, the ping-pong theme, at least for this particular establishment, is an act of defiance, a brazen statement of individuality and nonconformity, at least as far as Northwest DC goes. After all, when Comet Ping Pong opened in 2006, owner James Alifontis clashed with the local advisory neighborhood commission over his restaurant's placement of a ping-pong table on the sidewalk to attract and entertain customers. Frank Winstead, a member of the commission, even resorted to publishing a YouTube video called Ping Pong in Public Space, revealing damning footage of customers playing the vile sport with no regard for traffic or decency. 
Winstead accused Aliphantus of attempting to turn the neighborhood into Adams Morgan with the murders and rapes. However, a nail-biter 4-3 vote in the commission ruled in favor of Comet Ping-Pong, and the table stayed. Clearly, Comet had to have a lot of power to emerge unscathed from its brush with a tyrannical Northwest D.C. neighborhood association. Of course, today, the restaurant is highly regarded by everyone from the Washingtonian magazine, which put the restaurant in the top tier of Washington pizzerias, to Guy Fieri, who called its Yaley clam pizza one of the best he's ever had. GQ also named James Aliphantus the 49th most powerful person in Washington based on the power of the ping pong. I sat down at Comet Ping Pong and ordered a pitcher of beer, a Pudinesca pizza, and six wings. I was sharing the food with someone else, so don't get on the writer about his diet, please. I was treated to the soft musings of the man sitting next to me, telling his date about how he is polyamorous. Of course, this was an auspicious place for such conversation. My server was kind and hipsterly, but distant. What had he seen in the guts of this place? Each table in Comet Ping Pong is shaped like a mini ping pong table. Larger ping pong tables could be found in the back, but I shuddered to play. The balls were clearly human harvested, and I don't support that particular supply chain. What's more, <laughs> there is no trace of the outside ping pong table that Winstead had been so concerned about. Perhaps it has been moved, like so many poor children. Underground? My Putinesca pizza was like any other personal pizza you can obtain in the area, with a fluffy crust and a healthy balance of olives and anchovies, but it was disturbingly child-sized. The meatballs were also curiously small, and the sauce tasted watery. Essence of tears, perhaps? The wings were fleshy and flavorless, served with weird horseradish dressing that I quickly became suspicious of. The beer was the most normal part of the meal, as this was clearly geared towards adults and not the waifs forced to entertain them. People in D.C. may be willing to pay for sex with children, but they certainly would not want to see any liquor license violations. <laughs> At the end of the day, I felt like any other Comet Ping Pong patron, except for the fact that I disliked Ping Pong, and I didn't have sex with children. However, I was still charged far too much to put my mouth on criminally small portions. What's more, the spread of overpriced Neapolitan pizzas across the nation's capital can only serve as evidence of the success of the Podesta child sex ring. Why else would campaign funds be spent so frequently on such a mediocre establishment? Why is pizza suddenly a DC thing? Who seriously thinks that a 10-inch pizza should cost as much as three large pizzas from Little Caesars? What, because it has fucking Grana Padano on it? I left with more questions than answers, and I wasn't entirely sure I hadn't consumed baby parts in some manner or other. I can only imagine what a DC outsider like Welsh would have thought, seeing such high price points for such tiny portions. It's certainly criminal, and we need answers now more than ever. Inspiring. I can't imagine uh, you would eat there again. Not unless I'm bringing, uh, <laughs> well, I probably shouldn't say on the air that I would bring, like, weaponry to pizza, <laughs> to the comedy ping pong place. Just so but... everyone knows, he wasn't, we don't actually think Pizzagate is real. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's clear in the read, but. <laughs> but nothing could explain why people around here eat the kind of pizza that they eat. It's just because they're all like fucking boring lanyards who don't actually like have any like cultural tastes. Like, like DC has the weirdest food trends. Aside from the food that DC actually does well, like Ethiopian food and you know the Vietnamese food, like they're the just odd, odd food trends. I don't know. There'll be more on that in later uh, installations of Le Boulet des Mais. But I felt like I had to get the truth out there.
<laughs> and let's go into story time. And Sam took a trip to a museum. Yes, one of the wonderful things about living in the DMV area is all the free museums you can go to in Arlington, in D.C. proper, and, of course, in the surrounding suburbs. But one of the most elusive ones that I had never been to is literally the DEA Museum. That You heard that right, folks. It's the Drug Enforcement Administration. There's so much to celebrate. What a rich legacy of not racism. Oh, God. So this one's a doozy. The so the the hours for the DEA museum are atrocious. It's Tuesday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um <laughs> very random. This is very like off the beaten path. It's across the street from a mall in like Arlington, kind of near the Pentagon. And it's in this absurdly large office building that definitely houses a bunch of other stuff. But there's just one little sign for it. And when you go in, I mean, the security guards, like, I had to assume that they thought we were just, like, fucking goofball liberals who were there to, like, laugh and uh, at the exhibits, which we definitely were. But it made going through security kind of uh, a threatening experience. Okay, did they have on display, like, a dare sort of collection of all the different types of drugs and pills and stuff? Oh, for sure. Basically, it's organized as a historical trip through the drug problem as they see it in the United States. Um, You will love who they think is the... You know who they think the origin of the drug problem in the United States is? The Grateful Dead? No. (laughs) Close. It's China. Okay, okay, my second guess was the Chinese. (laughs) Yes. It literally says, like, it's it's like America's first drug epidemic, and then it's opium smoking comes to America from Chinese immigrants. Like, it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of dark because the whole thing, like the DEA's mission, is just overtly like white nationalist uh it talks about like how it for it also blames like arabs in like uh ancient times or uh you know times during like the dark ages like smoking hashish or whatever and like they claim that they also brought these drugs and that like america wouldn't have drugs if it wasn't for all these like shady people in asia or whatever but it goes from then there's some cool um there's a lot of memorabilia there's really cool opium pipes and stuff in like the China section and the early American section. And it also has like all the snake oil kind of drugs that went around. But um, there's a lot of like heinous grandstanding also for like the men who there's a like the in the lobby. There's a shitload of pictures of like people who like lost their lives in the line of duty, like yeah. defending your children. I was going to say drugs. Did they feature a tribute to all the dogs they kill? <laughs> no, but they, okay, you'll like this. They do have like a very kind of like dare uh, wall where it's members of the community. It's so children's museum. It's like very creepy. And uh, especially since the rest of this museum is really not safe for children in any way. But in this uh, in this fucking one part of the exhibit, there's a little like infographic where you like lift something up and it says like how does 
drugs affect a kid and it says like what's it called you know this kids can witness drugs in their own household and like that's how it's bad there was one for a dog that was like this dog may have been used to smuggle drugs it was like a tiny golden retriever i'm like it's not really like or people like all the time adopting like dogs that were previously used as like drug mules like what are you talking about I am curious, what is the attitude towards cannabis seeing as it's legal in D.C. and basically legal in uh, several uh, states now? So it's kind of funny. They... When you first walk in, I think the worst thing in the is when you first walk in, it has a replica of an American crack house circa 1990. And you can like literally peer into it through like a little peephole. And then there's a picture of like little kids fighting over like just capsules filled with like presumably crack. So it's just um, like that like breaking bad scene where Jesse's like all passed out. Basically, yeah. And then in right next to that is a marijuana vending machine from California that they like uh, seized in like 2008, I guess in the earlier days of like California having kind of like semi-legal weed. And uh, so they, it's very clear that they think that these things are basically the same issue that a crack house and like a marijuana, you know, vending machine are somehow all part of the same continuum. One thing that is conspicuously absent from the DEA museum is alcohol. There's, you will never see anything about alcohol abuse, despite the fact that I think alcohol is like, I think the most lethal drug, if I'm not mistaken. It's like, or if it's not, it's one of the most lethal drugs. Was there tour guides or the staff? Did no. they seem, <laughs> I mean, I'm just wondering, like, I don't think it's inconceivable to have a museum for this sort of thing, but it's presented in just the most like cynical sort of way. Yo, yeah, absolutely. It's like in a propagandistic, racist, self-justifying way. I compared it to like if uh, the Nazis had succeeded in the Holocaust, <laughs> then they would have put up a museum like this, basically. <laughs> I mean, like the crack house exhibit, I'm like, fuck, this is like, this was used to wage war on communities and you're acting like it's a pathology unique to those communities that you're curing instead of like exacerbating and like profiting off of. It was very heinous, especially because there was all this, all the race baiting. Uh, some of like the lighter things, I mean, they had like a ton of marijuana stuff that was really funny. They had literal weed in evidence bags from like the 70s. <laughs> it's like all brown and dried out and shit. Um, they have a lot of like what I think are just I, I, tools that people claimed were used for one thing, but are clearly like random objects from the seventies that don't do anything. There's one thing called a marijuana intensifier. <laughs> like it's like this like a contraption that looks like it was like left off the set of like a 1950s horror movie. They're just like preposterous, like proto vaporizers from like the 1960s and stuff uh there was one that literally just said big scale and then the description says four weighing drugs jesus <laughs> and the scale is like uh you know lady justice or whatever like it's like those scales like that you see in like a law firm or something 
Um, just so many like rolling papers too. Uh, literal bath salts as well were on display, and like K two and spice. But one of my favorite parts was the Lost Promise binder, which you could flip through, and it was just like celebrities who have died of drug overdoses. Some of the best examples. Uh, literally, Russell, old dirty bastard Jones of Wu Tang is in this. It's like <laughs> the lost talent of ODB. It's like why did, I didn't realize the D, the DEA recognized like the artistic merit of ODB. I I believe he has like a ton of artistic merit, but odd choice on their part they also had anna nicole smith in this <laughs> famous prescription drug overdose oh yeah and there's a big section of course they have to walk a, like toe a line because of you know prescription drugs are the the way everyone dies from drugs now but that's also legal and you know the u.s government bangs with like prescription pill companies and like pharmaceuticals Wait, so it didn't address the opiate crisis it does, but in in like very uh, pathologized terms. Uh, it's really this is all about showing off stuff they've confiscated over the years. Some of which is genuinely kind of like weirdly cool. <laughs> like there's a lightweight aircraft <laughs> that was is in there that like was used to smuggle drugs across the border. There are tires that literally have like the. Um, now, you know, like in Breaking Bad or maybe it's Better Call Saul, they have like the cash and the tires. They have this, but it's like tubes of cocaine. <laughs> um, they also have like like just fur coats they confiscated from like drug kingpins and stuff over the years. So really, I think it's just about like showing off. But uh, either way, very surreal place to visit. Very racist. I mean, <laughs> like I, I was very shaken up when I left. Uh, number one, because... I was worried they were going to like try to beat me up. The only people there were either like dead-eyed security guards or like literal DEA officers who looked like they were, you know, proud of the institution and also wary of anyone who was coming in who was trying to like make a mockery of it, which is clearly what I'm doing currently. Yeah, if only if they'd known what you were going to do that you were going to eviscerate them. They never would have let you in. No, of course not. Uh, one thing I will give the DEA is that it has uh, in the gift shop, which I did not buy anything from because I can't give them money in good conscience. But uh, they have all those kind of like what you know, like Chapo Trap houses, like logo is like the cocaine intelligence unit patch. They have that one, but they also have just a ton of other ones, and they're all really cool. Like a ton of them have the Grim Reaper on them for some reason. One of them says the Unicorn System for the Caribbean Field Division. There's one for like Southwest heroin that a uh, Southwest Asian heroin that has like a camel and shit. I don't know. Some of it was kind of cool, but uh, or at least the artwork itself is cool, but. Overall, uh, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend the DEA Museum. <laughs> nor as far as like other museums in D.C. go, there's probably better ones you could attend. Nor do we recommend the DEA. No, definitely not. 